You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hello, welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news, the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. It is Monday, the 31st of January. Tom Stanley in for Nick Luck still and will be for the next couple of days. Nick is um, en route back from the, the Pegasus World Cup, which saw a stunning performance on Saturday evening from Life Is Good, defeating Nick's go and leading from start to finish, which wasn't necessarily the way people expected it to unfold. But we will hear from Todd Pletcher a little bit later in the podcast, trainer of Life Is Good, about that performance and about what he might, and I say might, I tried to get him to commit but couldn't, what he might uh, do next. It was a fantastic night for Todd, who enjoyed that uh, grade one double in Florida. Uh, As far as the domestic action went, well, we saw some, some fabulous racing between Cheltenham and Doncaster, in the main at Cheltenham and in the main from Paisley Park's success in the Cleve Herder. We'll hear from his owner, who sadly couldn't be at Cheltenham, Andrew Gemmell, about what he made of that performance. And uh, Dave Yates is along with me. We'll touch on some news items as well. Newsboy of the Daily Mirror. But first of all, David Yates, what did you make of Cheltenham Trials Day? I thought it was a really interesting day's racing, Tom. I'm not quite sure how much it lived up to its name as Cheltenham Trials Day, although actually I think that the same every year. I think we may have seen one Cheltenham winner in Pied Piper who was really impressive in the Triumph Hurdle trial. Um, He may well go, however, for the Supreme Novices. Uh, Gordon Elliott and the same owner have uh, Phil Dorr in the Triumph and after the race in which Pied Piper won by an effortless nine lengths. Gordon Elliott said that this horse may be the speedier of the two. He may go for the Tuesday opener and Phil Dorr uh, for the Triumph. He thinks that the old course will suit Phil Dorr better because he's more of a stayer. So that's worth bearing in mind if you're looking at your bets uh, for the juvenile and novices hurdle. The the headline acts going into the, uh, the day were certainly Chantry House and Champ, or so it seemed, the Nicky Henderson pair. Chantry House got his career back on track in the Cotswold chase. Remember that he'd run that most disappointing race when pulled up, when favourite for the King George at Kempton on Boxing Day. And Nicky Henderson said he had to win this race. He was wearing cheek pieces, of course, and he he did win it. I thought it was pretty laboured uh, for much of the way. It's interesting that the bookmakers didn't shorten Chantry House for the Cheltenham Gold Cup on March the 18th. And I think that tells you all you need to know. Um, Nico de Boinville said afterwards, we're getting there. And I suppose that's how I would have put it. He certainly doesn't look the horse who's going to frighten the living daylights out of the likes of Aplutar and the reigning champion, Manella Indo. But at least he was back on track. It was a good run by Santini, of course, once with Nicky Henson, now with Polly Gundry. So they will put the cheek pieces on Chantry House at Cheltenham in the Gold Cup and 
they'll roll the dice and see how he goes. That, of course, was J.P. McManus's 4,000th winner as an owner, which is some achievement. We thought that he would go swiftly on to 4,001 in the Cleve Hurdle, but it was Paisley Park who staged that really stirring comeback. Of course, a horse who had won this race twice before. He'd won the Stayers Hurdle in 2019, then suffered atrial fibrillation, and really... If I say a loss of form, what I mean is a, a loss of form when it comes to winning at the highest level. Yes, he won the long walk hurdle in um, December 2020 at Ascot, but generally he's been a podium horse in uh, those events subsequently. But he roared back to life. It looked unlikely, didn't it, when he almost whipped round at the start and Aidan Coleman needed to give him plenty of encouragement to get involved he did pursue uh, his four rivals at a distance of a, a good dozen lengths it looked for most of the race that a victory for Paisley Park was unlikely but then I think it was running to the the final hurdle that suddenly he, the, he really started uh, to make ground on the leaders the afterburner started to kick in and in the end he won by three and a quarter lengths uh, he got as one would expect a thunderous reception from a good crowd at Cheltenham on Saturday, including the obligatory these days, uh, three cheers from one member of the crowd. And he was shortened to around six to one or a shortest uh, six to one for uh, the Stayers hurdle. Whether he'll be quite good enough to get his crown back, I think is open to doubt. But it was certainly a, a really warming result and it was great to be there to see it. And that would be um, quite the scene where, where Paisley Park to win at the festival again. But that is a little way off. We shall see. That is, of course, where he will head next. Uh, one person that was certainly missing from the celebrations on Saturday was owner Andrew Gemmell. He was in hospital uh, having a, a procedure done there so that he can indeed be back for the festival itself. I caught up with him a little bit earlier, started by asking him how he was. Thanks, Tom. Um, yeah, it's a great shame to miss it. I'm not quite home yet. I'm home on, even on Tuesday, but uh, I'm still in the hospital. But no, I'm, I'm well, and uh, hopefully things will be fine. You know? uh, absolutely, and you will. I mean, I I understand you're um, you've had the procedure done now, so that you'll be right in time for the festival. That's right, isn't it? One hundred percent correct. Yes. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. well, we're going to see Paisley Park there um, running in the stairs hurdle, and and that's off the back of. Oh, it was just a, the most fantastic performance. Um, how, how did you react to it, Andrew? I couldn't believe it, really. And, uh, I, I, didn't get, I tried not to get too carried away because I thought the surgeon wasn't too happy with that. But, um, yeah, I, I was just amazed and so pleased with Emma for Aiden Barry. You know, was, yeah, I think getting him back, they knew he wasn't. People had been saying he was finished, but he wasn't at all. He was really well at Ascot when he was third. All right on the form, but we shouldn't have beaten champ. But we did. Did you ever doubt the horse, Andrew? No, I didn't. I didn't because Barry's always been so upbeat about him and their man. Barry, we were Barry riding every day, and I didn't. I mean, I I do believe that nowadays he just probably probably, probably need a, a little bit more giving the ground. But you know, he, he just was fantastic to see him back to his old form, and he loves Cheltenham so much. Um, the start was interesting. <laughs> to say the least um and uh you know i think plenty thought well well that was that was chance gone what what were your thoughts about the start andrew 
initially I did think that, but I thought, I only hope that it was a small field and that they might not go lickety split and uh, they would have a chance to catch up. And then, I don't know, I heard Ruby saying on television that it'd be the technique to bring them back to the yard. You could tell the race was going on, he was gradually picking them off again. He didn't really hit his flat spot either yesterday. Probably not as much as he has done in the past. No, and I think, yeah. you know, the moment he the moment he came in the straight, there was this this sense at Cheltenham. Everyone started started saying Paisley Park, Paisley Park, because people know him. So what well, people know what he does, and if he's in contention turning in, it, it, it's often game over. And it and it and it was on Saturday. Yes, I, mean, I think the one thing we we started to doubt a little bit whether was, whether we still had that final acceleration that you always used to have. He's still good. He stays forever. He's he definitely had it on on Saturday. One thing that was that that was wonderful, and I, you know, I I know you as a as a horse racing fan, as a National Hunt fan, Cheltenham fan will appreciate is the incredibly warm reception that he got. That he really is adored by the the Cheltenham faithful. Oh, it was absolutely unreal. I mean, to hear that, and to hear the three cheers when you went to get tickets to collect me, and when 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 the announcement to collect that was just. Unbelievable! It was, it was like the old days of Desert Orchid, almost. It was terrific. Yeah, it really was. He's, um, yeah, the, the the public are on first name terms with him, definitely. Just just shouting Paisley. Actually, when he when he left the winners' enclosure and he and you know he he walked past the the public again, just lots of people shouting Paisley. So um, there's there's huge affection for him. Um, what what do you think about the Stairs Hurdle? Well, I just just going back on that point again. Well, amazing. Whenever I go to cricket or football or any other sport, it's about every time I go, someone says, "That was Paisley." It's amazing. Yeah. Um, that's listen. That's what these. That's what these horses, particularly these national hunt horses, do. Um, so, do, do you do you go there with with a good deal more hope now to the festival? Yes, I think so. I mean, look. I, mean, I know Sign Hill wasn't there yesterday, but um, I do, and I think. Yeah, obviously the Irish horses, Florian horses, so obviously to be reckoned with, and there's going to be one or two others. But um, yeah, I think I, I think it's going to be a great race again. In fact, people have said it before or before the year it was a weak division, but I'm not so sure now. What What about Emma and, and Barry and, and Aidan and, and that team and the, and the work they've done? What oh. What do you want to say about them? No, absolutely fantastic. I mean, Emma, Barry, and. Uh, Delighted for you. You're part of that team as well, and can't wait to to have you back at Cheltenham for the festival. Um, rest up and well done again. Thanks, Tom. Thank you very much. Uh, Dave, the, the other thing I, I think we should touch upon um, is uh, a couple of, of sad losses. Um, it wasn't yeah. a good day for, for Henry Daly um, because, of course, um, Hillcrest, who is, is fine, um, he unseated his rider, no fault of his own. He'd been very well supported for the uh, Ballymore trial. Uh, a great shame we didn't get to see what he might have done. Uh, and Henry, earlier on, had sadly lost Watmore in the handicap chase. And, of course, up at Doncaster... Um, poor Midnight Shadow suffered a, a fatal injury and that's a great loss to Sue and Harvey Smith's yard. 
Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a, as you say, it was a, a, a day of, of uh, deep frustration and sadness for Henry Daly. What more was making his return uh, for the season? And sadly, we lost him. And Hillcrest, of course, was brought down at the third flight of his race. And Midnight Shadow, also a, a horse who's hugely popular for uh, the Smiths and he came to grief at the water jump. That was a um, a really distressing instant. I, I, I spoke to a lot of people on Saturday night who are either racing professionals or season race goers and uh, they were expressing their distress uh, at, at, at how uh, Midnight Shadow had, had met his end. It, it, it raised the question of the water jump again. I, I actually rang Harvey Smith yesterday and said, you know, do you think that water jumps need taking out of British race courses? And, and he said no. He said what he would like to see is essentially a bigger fence in front of the water jump so that horses have to jump higher and further. Um, he, he said, you know, that was, that's how it works in show jumping. He said, I, I wouldn't do away with water jumps. He said, I think they're a fair obstacle. You'd only replace them with another fence in any case. He said, we had them in show jumping. And he said, I, I'd just like them a bit bigger. But yeah, it was a very sad loss. Those were two very popular horses. And uh, yeah, our, our, our thoughts with connections because that was pretty raw on Saturday. Now, stateside, we had uh, one of the, the, the battles of the year, the, the dirt battles in a long time, actually, uh, well billed as with Life is Good, the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile winner, taking on the Breeders' Cup Classic winner in the form of Nick's Go and Horse of the Year, Nick's Go. It was won by Todd Pletcher's Life is Good. I spoke to him late last night, UK time. Well, we were, we were obviously... Uh delighted with his performance and uh, you know, we've ex- been expecting him to run well. He's been training exceptionally like he always does. And, you know, we weren't 100% sure how the race was going to unfold. We knew that uh, our horse has good natural speed and we wanted to use that to his advantage, but uh, we didn't envision clearing off quite as easily as we did. And, uh, you know, so we felt like we had the advantage going into the first turn and uh, then he was able to keep cruising from there. So, Really, really with it. In some ways, Todd was was yours and Irad's plan to to, to track Nick's go, j- just because the, the, it seemed likely that Nick's go would hit the lead, or, or was was Irad confident he could lead? We, we were we were going to be happy with any scenario. The, the main thing we wanted to do was let our horse get into his, his rhythm, and uh, you know, at that meant he was on Nick's go's flank. That was okay, and if he was in front of Nick's go, that was okay too. So. It was really just about us allowing our horse to run his race, and we were focused on that. And you know, and then of course you never know what what the other the other horse is going to do. So you kind of kind of have your own game plan, and always be willing to adapt when things can change immediately at, when the gates open. How confident were you were you watching as the race developed that just nothing was going to get to him? Well, going down the backside when he was he was well in front, he seemed to be cruising. That would have been surprised at that point if he wouldn't have continued on. Uh, obviously, he, w- he was up in distance. I mean, is further not going to be a problem for this horse now, do you think? Uh, if he has to tackle 10 or, you know, another couple of hundred metres, that's not going to be an issue? 
you know, everything that this horse does, uh, watching him train, will give you confidence that he's, he's capable of doing anything. He's just a super impressive horse uh, to to watch. He's got tremendous mechanics. He, he seems to, to never get tired in his training. And, uh, you know, so I don't think he has any limits. Obviously, you know, if he'll settle and relax a little bit and it's not pressure, he'll certainly give you the impression he'll, he'll stay. Now I know there's there's options on the table. Obviously, you, you'd suggested beforehand that the Dubai World Cup was a, a likely next engagement. Has anything changed from that, or is that where we might see him next? No, we, we haven't committed to anything. You know, we'll see how he comes back and let let everybody uh, take a deep breath, and we'll uh, we'll see how he's doing first and foremost. But uh, Dubai's one of the one of the races that we've talked about, and, and you know, certainly it's. Uh, it's attractive, but there's also, uh, you know, a lot of travel involved and kind of give up some time in the, you know, here when you come back. So we'll, uh, we'll give, give it some time and enjoy this race for the moment that, uh, see how he goes back to training and come up with a firm game plan probably in a couple of weeks. How much pride do you have that he's in your care, Todd? Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're just, uh, super lucky to have, you know, a horse like this and, uh, you know, we're blessed. It's our job to just kind of stay out of his way and keep him pointing in the right direction. He's, he's uh, ultra talented, and uh, you know, we're, like I said, we're blessed to have him and for him to come out in his first start at four and beat uh, you know the horse that will be voted horse of the year from last year and Breeders' Cup Classic winner. It was a it was a big, big step up, and you know, it's uh, I think everyone already knew how good this horse was, but that just uh, put an exclamation point on it. It'll be interesting to see exactly where they do go next with Life is Good. Um, of course, Nick's go went on to, to Saudi last year and Life is Good has, has followed a similar path. But um, it, it does seem as though Dubai may be the favourite for this horse, stepping up again in distance. But um, there's no commitment as yet from either trainer Todd Pletcher or anyone from Windstar Farm. We will see. We've brought to you over the last week or so plenty of content from the Pegasus World Cup in association with HBA Media and more now in the form of a review from this podcast's host Nick Luck, joined by NBC colleague Matt Bernier. Well, Tom, Matt Bernier and I were fortunate to be part of the NBC broadcast, as you saw on, on Saturday night. And there's no doubt that the first impression that I got was, well, it was a spectacular performance from Life is Good and a rather dull one from Nick's Go. I wonder, Matt, whether whether we might revise that down a bit without wishing to be too downbeat and say that maybe neither of the principals gave absolutely the whole shebang. It's an interesting race when you go back and look, because I think we had just expected this two horse absolute showdown from start to finish. And when it doesn't unfold the way we expect it to, maybe it feels a little bit underwhelming. I think with roughly 24 hours and some speed figures now to kind of contextualize what we saw, I have to be honest, Nick, I think life is good, actually improved. I think he ran the best race of his life. Uh, certain speed figures, Timeform US, which is a big product here in the United States, they have this being very clearly the fastest race life is good has ever run. He earned a 134. He ran fast throughout. And I think the most important piece for me, taking a look at these numbers in relation to the race itself, Nick's go kind of ran his race. He ran numbers that are very representative of what we've come to expect for this horse over the past year and a half. Um, the interesting piece, the most interesting to me, he actually ran faster during the internal parts of the race in the Pegasus than he did when he won the Breeders' Cup Classic. So 
Um, maybe it didn't play out the way that we had hoped from a, an entertainment or an excitement standpoint. Um, but I do think we got a, a pretty stellar performance from Life is Good. How in which case then do we, we rationalize the relative proximity of, of the third horse, who I know you thought would run well, but were you expecting Stiletto Boy to run quite that well? No, no. To be honest, I think the thing that I was most surprised about with Stiletto Boy was the fact that he actually outfooted Nick's go into the first turn. Uh, this is a horse who is typically comfortable running from a few lengths off the pace. For him to be as forwardly placed as he was, I think that actually bodes well for him going forward. I'm not suggesting he's going to be a, a foil to life is good or anything like that, but he's a horse that unfortunately for him is a three-year-old and now is a four-year-old. He has at least one or two of his generation that are better than he is from a talent standpoint. That doesn't mean that he's not a very talented racehorse. These are three consecutive dirt route races that he's run that are all very, very strong, that are capable of winning grade two races in the United States, even bordering on grade ones, depending on the kind of field that comes together. So I admittedly was surprised he ran as well as he did. I thought he'd run, give a good account of himself, but I think this is the best he's run. And perhaps it's a precursor of things to come. He might have a pretty good 2022. Exactly. We shouldn't be dismissive of that possibility. If you trained life is good, how would you plot your campaign from now on? Well, the, the Saudi Cup is definitely intriguing, not just because of the, the purse structure, but Life is Good has proven himself as a one-turn type as well as a two-turn type. So a one-turn mile and an eighth, I don't think that would be an issue. Knowing the players at hand, Todd Pletcher being the trainer, typically Todd doesn't like to bring his horses back that quickly in a, in a four-week sort of time. I think Dubai fits much better as far as an overall schedule is concerned. I would expect to see him in the World Cup, going a mile and a quarter for the first time. Then the real intriguing piece becomes, where does he go beyond that? Because if you gave him a couple months off, theoretically, he's ready to go for the Met Mile on Belmont Stakes Day, a one-turn mile at Belmont Park, which could also be a landing spot for Flightline, who has been the uber-spectacular horse out on the West Coast for John Sadler. And if you got a matchup of those two, we made all the, the big fuss about life is good and Nick's go. And rightfully so when we're talking about it from a speed figure standpoint, this is getting into the weeds a bit, two of the fastest horses we've had in the past 10 years, aside from Gunrunner and Arrowgate, our life is good in flight line. If those two showed up at Belmont park in the one turn met mile uh, boy, I mean, that would be the race of the year. Matt, thanks. It was a pleasure to work with you again. Looking forward to um, catching up with you in, in Saudi Arabia in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Tom, there you go then. We've had one matchup. It ended up being a pretty one-sided affair, but it could just be a matter of months before we get another one we're all talking about. Dave, looking ahead domestically, um, the, the, the story we covered centrally last week was, was that of the uh, weights rise and the doing away with the weights allowance across both coasts, a three pound COVID-19 allowance, if you like. Um, we both yesterday spoke to the chief operating officer of the BHA, Richard Wayman, and, and he uh, confirmed that at some point early this week, the BHA are going to meet with the PJA again and the NTF. And I think the key point here, jockeys as well, and actually speak specifically to jockeys who were so outspoken about the, their um, anger towards the, the weights rise and the doing away with, with said allowance. So uh, there will be more news to come off the back of that. What, what do you expect to happen, Dave? Right. Well, just for those who don't know about this, let's just 
uh, put them in the picture. Obviously, it was last Tuesday, the BHA announced that the £3 allowance introduced during COVID was going to go, but the, the weights would go up by £2. Of course, the saunas, uh, which in November were announced to be no more. They weren't used, of course, during COVID, which is why the £3 allowance uh, came in. Uh, they're not operating. So for jockeys, you lose your £3 allowance, the weights go up £2, and you don't have any saunas. Um, this triggered widespread anger uh, throughout the weighing room. Uh, some outspoken comments, including from jockeys who are normally pretty measured, the likes of Tom Marquand, and Adam Kirby. The BHA responded with a, uh, a long uh, response on social media a day later. And now we've got the situation where they've agreed to meet uh, with the PJA, with certain jockeys, with the National Trainers Federation. One should say that the NTF are in favour of the £3 COVID allowance going because the, that three pounds added to the three pounds of a back protector meant that horses were carrying six pounds more than their weight that was stated in the race card and understandably I think trainers thought that that uh, was a burden they didn't want to subject some of their horses to so at the end of last week the BHA uh, said uh, announced that this meeting would take place and it will take place this week. In terms of what I expect, um, well, I expect some sort of compromise, Tom, but I don't know quite where that's going to come from. I don't think that the £3 allowance will come back. It's unlike the BHA uh, to row back on what they've done. And they've also got uh, the National Trainers Federation shoulder to shoulder with them. But I would expect there to be some sort of compromise. Uh, the... The, the jockeys are truly up in arms about this. And I would, I, I, I personally think that there's no harm in having soreness. That's, that's my view. I know that I, I completely understand uh, the drive towards fitness and nutrition and, and a, uh, a, a long term, playing the long game when it comes to managing a jockey's weight. But equally, I don't see any harm in spending 20 minutes in a sauna to take off three quarters of a pound uh, or a pound. So we'll see. I think there'll be a compromise of some kind. I don't think the, the allowance will come back, however. And looking ahead to the, to the racing, um, for all January, builds i think it's fair to say we've been blessed with some some brilliant racing the last couple of weeks uh, we had our sort of inaugural version of the dublin racing festival if you like in the form of the, the winter million um, just over a week ago and and now we've got the dublin racing festival on the horizon and we are well i think we're hoping for two things and and they are linked we're, we're probably hoping for a bit of rain in ireland <laughs> so that we get some, some, some real matchups because trainers have expressed a little bit of concern in Ireland about what conditions they might be faced with. And that has in the past led to some notable absentees on the day. Yeah. And I think it will do this time around as well. I mean, it, it's as early as, well, December, mid-December really, when I think it was even before uh, Leopardstown's Christmas festival that maybe Gordon Elliott and Willie Mullins first said, you know, the, the, the chase course at Leopardstown is a concern. That's a concern for Christmas. And it's also a concern uh, looking forward to the Dublin racing festival. We've had some high profile absentees in the past and 
Ireland's or two of Ireland's top trainers have expressed their misgivings. Um, Paul Nichols was obviously listening at the time. We know uh, we know how Nichols's mind works, and any opportunity that he can see, he's very keen to take advantage of. He he's primed to do so uh, this weekend at Leopardstown because. Frodon is going for the Irish Gold Cup, which is run on Saturday uh, now. And Grenatine, Green Teen, however you pronounce that horse's name, uh, is going for the Dublin Chase, the two-miler, which is now on Saturday. And uh, Bryony Frost, of course, who was successful on Frodon in the champion chase at Down Royal at the end of October, will return to Ireland. And that will be some reception she gets if she wins either of uh, those grade ones. But yeah, at the moment, we've got Kenboy Minella Indo in opposition in the Irish Gold Cup. And so it's a, it's a real opportunity that, that Nichols has, uh, has seen here. He said yesterday, well, Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott may not like drying ground on the chase course at Leopardstown, but for Frodon and Grenatine, it's a massive plus. Frodon, of course, probably did too much running uh, from the front when well beaten in defence of his King George crown over Christmas, and Grenatine, who had won the Tingle Creek at Sandown at the start of December, was then no match for Shishkin in the Desert Orchid chase at Kempton a day later. But uh, the uh, 12-time champion trainer reports the horse is in good form. He thinks they'll be suited by the track and the ground, and he sees an opportunity to get some grade ones and some prize money, of which there is much. It will be a really informative couple of days. I'm really looking forward to going. Of course, one missed out last year. Uh, Leopardstown is a is a uh, really one of my favourite race courses, and uh, roll on Saturday. Yeah, and there'll be plenty of uh, content this week building up to the Dublin Racing Festival this weekend. Dave, if you wouldn't mind, this uh, Monday morning as we are now, please send us away with a tip. Right, well, coincidence backers, Tom, will back Tommy Tittlemouse in the 7.30 at Wolverhampton. Today is the wedding anniversary of Fred Archer, and Tommy Tittlemouse was the great man's final ride of his life when beaten at Lewis in November 1886. I'm going up the road from Lewis to Plumpton for the 340 race and Rose of Agabo. This is a mare trained by Nick Gifford. Tabitha Worsley, who's been among the winners, is on board today. A return to form over course of and distance four days before December, I hope. Rose of Agabo can build on that and go one better. So 340 race at Plumpton today, selection number four, Rose of Agabo. I'm sure that, that that's um, all in all big on the list of, um, of coincidence backers. In fact, it's, it's top of my um, coincidence spreadsheet, Dave. For Monday the 31st of January 2022. Oh, exactly, yeah. It's, it's, it's a long list, Tom. It's, it's, it's a very long list. Um, it's, it's one of three or four um, coincidence points I have today. But I won't bore you with those. <laughs> Dave, thank you very much, as ever. Um, we will chat again soon, and I'll be back with you tomorrow. As I say, we'll be looking ahead again to the Dublin Racing Festival, which is the, the feature at the back end of this week. Chat tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily. 
brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.